0: Well, the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey will be in front of the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee on Tuesday. One of the questions he will supposedly be asked, according to the House of Lords press office, is whether the IMF's assessment is right that advanced economies should be not worried about public debt and should take advantage of historically low borrowing costs to increase spending. Today we ask, should governments ever be worried about public debt and try to get to grips with where money is really created? Spoiler alert, by and large, Andrew Bailey is not really producing any of it through quantitative easing. So what is QE really doing? All that and more on today's Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So we need money right now. Businesses need access to it to survive. Those with a good idea, you might want it to try and get something new started, because obviously during a downturn is often the the time to start a new company. And lots of people need it to stay away from food banks. Even those who are doing sort of okay need to be encouraged to spend. Uh, So more money in their pockets would be useful for that. But already Rishi Sunak, the UK Chancellor, and others like Josh Frydenberg in Australia are already talking about balancing the books, getting rid of this huge, budget deficit that's been accrued this year. Now, we've talked, Steve, uh, a lot about how budget deficits are not a bad thing, but what about uh, the idea of money creation? We've talked about that as well, uh, but I want to go a bit deeper on it today. Are governments really creating money? Because money can be created in two ways, can't it? It It can be cash that's created by the Treasury, which is a rapidly diminishing proportion of all money, and then there are commercial banks issuing loans. But then also, you know, people talk about quantitative easing as creating money. But is that right? Is it really or is it it's just liquidity for uh, for commercial banks,
1: isn't it? Well, this is where you've got to think in double entry bookkeeping terms. And that this is something which I've, I've learned myself by, first of all, trying to model money and working out how to do it uh, back in the uh, Uh, the early 2000s, I think, mathematically modeled money creation. Um, But then, ultimately, I was using single entries, it happens, and I finally realized you've got to use double entry and then banks themselves... Uh, all all financial institutions model what they're doing using double entry bookkeeping mm. and then when you ask yourself any question like that you've got to take a look at the books themselves and say well where are these operations occurring so if you're going to then the general principle that i've realized again from building minsky and working with the, the godly tables that are an essential part of minsky is that if you're going to create money you have to have an operation which occurs on both the assets yeah. and the liability stroke equity side of the banking sector's ledger and once you've got 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 that in your head? Then you can say, "Well, does QE create money?" And the answer is categorically no. Let's go through. So let's go through. So we understand that. Mm -hmm. Let's go through it very quickly, Mm -hmm.
0: step by step. Now, this might be old ground Mm -hmm. for some people, but just so we're all on the same page. So, so Mm -hmm. the government issues uh, debt, issues issues bonds. Uh, They go onto the onto the primary market, uh, which are bought by a a small number of uh, of of banks, uh, and they're using it from their Excess reserves basically sitting in their banks, so they say, "Well, okay, this money's doing nothing, so we're going to buy these bonds because at least we're going to get paid interest on on that." So that happens. Uh, that's a fairly straightforward transaction in that the uh, the the assets are now sitting uh, with the with these banks. They've got the asset of the uh, of the bonds, and uh, the money that they paid for those bonds is now sitting where, sitting, sitting, uh, sitting with the government, I guess. So it's the,
1: it's- well, if, they, if, if, you, if you have the government selling bonds to the private banks and the banks get bonds uh, in their hands effectively mm. and lose money, okay? Yeah. So uh, when you look at where we, uh, bond sales, where are they occurring, they are a transaction that occurs entirely on the asset side of the banking system ledger, and therefore they don't create money. Okay. Because yep. what happens, if, and you've got to go take a step back, where, where did the banks get the money to buy the bonds within the first place? And the answer to that is out of the government deficit itself, whether that's the actual deficit historically or it's a anticipated deficit in the sense that the government is issuing bonds to cover what they think is going to be the deficit over time, which is the usual sort of thing that happens. But when I look at it using Minsky's continuous time uh, modelling approach. If the government spends, then it's putting money in your bank account. Let's say it's buying uh, audio services off Phil Dobby. Then it puts money in your bank account. And to do that, it has to put money in the reserve account of the banking sector as well, right. which is on the asset side. And if it's taxing, if it's putting £100 into your account and taking 50 out in tax then that's a net 50 going into your account, which increases your bank, your assets, which that is your bank account, which is a liability of the bank you bank with. Its liability goes up, so does its asset, which is the reserves. So it's got 50 quid in additional reserves. And then the government comes along and issues 50 quids worth of bonds to cover the gap between the two. And the bonds earn a one or 2% rate of interest, whereas the reserves then are zero or even a negative rate of interest as some of the central banks are playing with these days. Playing is in terms of kids who don't know what they're damn well doing. But anyway, um, the, the government has created five quid, 50 quid of additional reserves. It then offers you 50 quid of bonds giving a positive rate of interest. You say, I'll have those, thank you. You effectively use the reserves. It's been more complicated than certain the actual internal mechanics inside the financial sector, but that's the money that's gonna do it has been created by the deficit. So the the sale of the bonds is just an asset swap. It doesn't create any money. So when you then take that to the
0: next stage where the central bank says, well, okay, we're going to buy those from the private banks – it's it's just it's just more of the same. So there there is it's more.
1: It's it's another asset swap. Yeah. So in that case, if you like, I, I'm just looking at one of the Minsky models I've built of this whole thing, and I, as, as part of it, a couple of my Patreon supporters wanted to know what the hell happens when you have pensions being purchased. You know, if if you have a, a pension firm that buys bonds, mm. what does that do to the whole exercise? And this surprised me. I didn't expect the outcome. But if you were if you have a company. Um, which say sells pensions to workers, so workers pay a fee every month to buy a pension, and then with that money, the the, uh, the pension fund buys bonds to cover it, and then uh, pays the um, the pension itself using the interest earnings on those bonds or the profit uh, in buying and selling bonds and you know, the trading that uh, that happens in the bond market. Uh, that you have a. You have a, a negative, and the, 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 pen, the pension fund is buying bonds, so it's got to use its own deposit account. So, as a deposit account goes down, that's a liability to the banking sector. So, the liability to the banking sector have contracted. Therefore, the assets also have to contract. So, where do you take it out of? Well, they're taking it out of the bank's bonds. So, you put a minus in the bank bonds. What that means is that a pension fund, when it buys bonds, is actually destroying money. Mm. because the the liabilities of the banking sector, liabilities plus equity of the banking sector, are fundamentally money. If you are using that money to buy bonds, you're putting a negative on the liability side and a negative on the asset side of the banking sector. Where does the negative come from? It comes out of the bonds that the bank currently owns. So for that to actually happen, the banks have to make a profit. they're, They're going to give you reserves at par because they're not paying any interest on reserves. Uh, or not earning interest on reserves. But if you're going to buy bonds, they're going to sell you at less than par to make a profit out of the transaction. But when they do it, the assets of the banking sector have fallen, the liabilities have fallen, you've actually destroyed money. So rather than these uh, bond purchases by NBFIs creating money, they're actually destroying money. Right. So when a central bank buys
0: government bonds off commercial banks, then they are just... Expanding the excess reserves of those commercial banks. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and and nothing happens with that. Those excess reserves do nothing unless they go and buy more government bonds. Of
1: course. Well, so, no. What do you think? Within the, with the question, what this is what QA is doing? Um, if you have. Uh, And quantitative easing, of course, is not linked to the government deficit. So if you're looking at bonds being issued to cover the government deficit, the deficit itself creates the money. It creates the excess reserves. The excess reserves used to buy the bonds, and that's all the self-contained operation. But if you – the the bond buying itself doesn't create any money. It just converts – cash into bonds, which is profitable for the banks, Mm. but it doesn't actually create any money. But if you're talking about QE, going the opposite direction, so the government, the central bank, buys bonds off the uh, private banks It'll do that in a way that makes a profit for the private banks, the price it pays. But that means that the the bond holdings of the banks go down, the reserve holdings, which is effectively cash, go up. Yeah. Uh, and you, and that that then gives the banks banks want to have as much of their money in income earning form as they possibly can. Yeah. So again, so if the you theory imagine, is that they're they going
0: to use those excess reserves to loan them out to other people so that they No
1: that's the theory is wrong and this yeah, is but that, but that, is, is, the, that
0: is the theory behind quantitative easing isn't it so you have you, got you've got those reserves active. now yeah. you're using it to buy bonds we want you to do it with something which is less safe and uh, and you know to add to the impetus that we if we have you know negative interest rates for example as well so you really don't want those excess reserves so go and loan them out to people
1: That's the theory. Which they can't do. That's the theory. And this is why economic theory can be so dangerous, because it simply can't be done. The only way, uh, and this is what I've I've done, again, doing the mass of this in in a Minsky model, uh, the whole idea they can lend reserves means lend out reserves. Let's use the word, the language is used. Why don't they lend out reserves? Lend out reserves means reserves in the banking sector have to go down. That means the assets of the banking sector go down. That means the liabilities go down. You're actually not lending money you're destroying money so how can you actually do it in a way that actually creates money in any sense at all mm. the only way that would work with the lend- when when the reserves of the banking sector went down they went down because all loans are in cash okay so if you if you if you had the banking sector lending excess reserves they would have to insist that the borrower took those in the form of cash So the cash levels held by the non-banking sector would rise. and the assets of the banking sector would fall, that's the only way the money multiplier model works. But in fact, as we as we all know from loans we take out these days, including our credit cards, uh, those loans credit a deposit account of a bank, whether it's your deposit account if you're taking a loan from the bank or it's if you're buying using a credit card in a shop, it's the deposit account of the shop you're buying from that gets the positive entry. In that situation, you you. Do not even touch the reserves. They are irrelevant to the whole lending operation. But the belief that they were relevant was a major thing behind viewing in QE. Right.
0: I've got you. So, okay, so I, so you've got a, a, a high level of reserves sitting in a bank. That doesn't make a, a jot of difference when I go and say to my bank, I need to get a loan or I need an overdraft. They're just going to create that money anyway, irrespective of the size of their reserves.
1: Yeah, the only way it has any effect. There's actually a very good blog post by John Carney some time ago called "Loans Create a Lot More Than Just Deposits." Mm. and Very clever, and he said it creates two additional risk requirements. If you have a reserve requirement, then the loan loan itself will generate a need to get extra reserves. And if you have an equity base, you're trying to maintain a ratio as, as a bank between your loans and your equity level, and you you're going to require you, a need to issue more shares to give you an equity backing, or borrow long-term debt. Which which you can count as part of your equity to boost that, uh, boost your equity level. Um, but fundamentally, and if, therefore, if you had you know, if QE created a lot of excess reserves, you wouldn't have the first need. You'd already have the reserves you need to cover it. So in that kind of, it could slightly ease the action of government lending. Uh, sorry, of am sorry, of private bank lending. But it plays no active role. It's no. it's, uh, it's it's it's. Uh, it, it's an, if, if there are reserve requirements, then it's a subsequent requirement after a loan is made. It's got nothing to do with actually ma- enabling the loan in the first instance. So QE is achieving nothing then? It, all it's doing is, is boosting the reserves of banks,
0: but it's boosting them beyond a the level which is their the, the required level, and, and therefore it's a bit meaningless.
1: Well, in fact, what what it then does is, it, it banks themselves are looking at this, and again, this is it's, it's, it's more complicated than a simple model will imply because there are so many different divisions of the financial sector, and maybe the. Uh, parts of the financial sector are borrowing reserves off others to do various activities. But if you have a financial sector in general, let's take QE in America, which is running at $80 billion per month, therefore basically a trillion dollars per year, that was taking a trillion dollars of income-earning assets off the financial sector and replacing it with a trillion dollars of non-income-earning assets. Well... The, that's, you'd so say the bond, the bonds holdings would go down and the reserves would go up. Now, the bank's response to that, and this, this is what we can see has happened, would be, well, let's buy shares with it then. Mm. Now, when you buy shares, of course, you take money out of your reserves. So that's the, the down they go, negative for you. You give them to a, a broker to buy the shares off the general public. Um, and that will drive up the price, and might make some of the general public a lot wealthier—not general public, but uh, the one percent public. Yeah. Uh, but then the the stockbroker goes and banks that money back into a, his own, his or her own bank, and bang, uh, the system as a whole—the individual bank that that uh, bought the shares might find its reserves have gone down, but if the broker they bought through banks with themselves, the reserves come right back in again. So reserves are a hot potato; you can't get rid of them. Right. Yeah. And it's of course creating that risk. Of, anyway.
0: It's creating that asset price inflation as well, in which we're seeing in in equities in the in the United, particularly in the United States. So I mean, that's that,
1: that, yeah. And that's why we're talking about a K-shaped recovery. The markets go up, the economy goes down, mm. uh, and this is one of the dangers of QE because again, it's it's using the capacity of the central bank to create money uh, using its own assets and liabilities system, and because the central bank has no problem about whether it's got enough equity, it's It's presumed to have infinite equity fundamentally. uh, Then it can simply say, we're going to put an entry of a a trillion dollars per year of, of cash in the reserve accounts of banks, which are a liability for us. And they're going to give us a trillion dollars worth of bonds, which we'll put on the asset side of the bank. No effect on the central bank's equity, but a trillion dollars of money. If they wanted to make it 10 trillion, they can do it. We're going to buy $10 trillion worth of bonds. And uh, so there's no limit to this. And what that means is the central banks are fundamentally powering the upward half part of the K that's, that benefits the wealthy because, uh, if that's rising the stock market to rise, then the rising price of the stock market makes shareholders, shareholders who own stock market get a lot wealthier. Um, they may well sell part of those shares, which again puts the reserves back in the banking sector. But that, that's the money can get through through the, through the wealth effect. Through some spending, but it's trivial compared to what you'd get if you gave the money to the, to the working class. And isn't this increasing the risk for the banks then, because they are
0: then taking very risky investments in a, in a, in a rising share market, and uh, so that could destroy those reserves for them, ultimately?
1: That that's one of the dangers, Though not so much the story of the reserves, is, as, as if, if you have assets which are price-based, uh, and, and this is why I'd actually like to have a three-dimensional or four-dimensional godly table looking at valuation of assets in terms of how fast you can liquidate them. The reason money is 100% liquidatable, if you've got money, you can use it. You don't have to convert money into anything else to buy something with money. Mm. But if you want to buy something with, if you've got shares, uh, then you have to sell those shares before you get money with which you can buy something else. And if you have a a plunging market, which we've seen several times this year, then that falling price level reduces the valuation of those shares on the asset side of the banking sector, doesn't do anything on the liability side, which means the equity has to fall. And that's one of my favourite lines in a book. I, I really resisted buying, but I had to buy the damn thing. Uh, to comment on it was Hank Paulson's book about the financial crisis when he was Secretary of the Treasury in the States. And he got a call. I think he's an ex-Morgan Stanley guy. They're all Morgan Stanley these days. Uh, got a call from his successor at Morgan Stanley saying, you've got to do something. We're going to go bankrupt if, you don't, if we don't get you know, a, a cash injection from you damn quick. And and uh, Paulson asked back, how long have you got? And the answer was about three hours. Mm. Wow. the rate of decline of shares was so fast that day that if it wasn't stopped within three hours, Morgan Stanley would have been bankrupt. So it could happen again, then, couldn't it? And the the irony is that, that the, yeah. the
0: the argument for QE is that it it's helping the liquidity in the banking sector. It sounds like it's doing exactly the opposite. It's encouraging the exact well, opposite.
1: It's making liquidity more fragile because mm. it depends upon the stock price, which itself has driven up. So, I mean, again, one of those, you, you wouldn't want to write this down in a script because people would say it's too ridiculous, but the S&P 500 index turned around under the force of QE when it had reached 666, the mark of the devil. And, mm. you know, now it's, it, it's up to sign. the 3,000s back and down, up and down like crazy. Yeah. But if, if they're very unstable. But when, when the shares prices are as as they are now, and they're, they're more pumped than they were at any time outside 2000. They're, the the price-to-earnings ratio on shares exceeds the price-to-earnings ratio in the peak of the bubble in 1929... And, and even the bubble in 2008, the only bubble that's bigger in terms of a price to winnings ratio right now is the 2000 stock market bubble. Uh, so that means that you're very, very v- uh, fragile. You, you've got to continue pumping those shares up, otherwise they'll plunge. Right. That's why I call it a pack with the devil. So we've established and, QE and does, 666. Yeah. So hmm. QE
0: does nothing in terms of creating money. So at a time like now, when the chips are down. Does it help the economy to have more money in circulation? Should we be finding ways of creating money right
1: now? Is that going to help us get through this? Well, that, that's, that's why I think we should be having uh, you know, a substantial government deficit. And again, the whole thing, how are we going to pay for it? The deficit pays for itself. Yeah. And this is the point where you know, I've got to concede that's one point that I didn't get right. And my intuition, putting it through Minsky, under, explained it for me. When the government spends, it's increasing the reserves, of the banking sector, and it's increasing the deposit accounts at the same time. When it taxes, the opposite effect occurs, the deficit itself creates money and creates excess reserves that are used to buy the bonds that the Treasury then sells to uh, enable itself to have a non-negative balance at the central bank. That's what really the Treasury bonds do. Yeah. Uh, it's the, so, but with QE, um, because it's driving up the share market price, it is possible that people who've, in their own uh, – you know, double entry bookkeeping, including the value of shares as of their assets. If there's a huge rise there, let's sell some shares. Let's use that to you know, buy a new house or a new car. Uh, the sale proceeds out of that turn up in the physical economy. So you do get a, a, a convoluted way in which QE adds to money in circulation through this so-called wealth effect. Yeah. But A, it's relatively trivial. And it, 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 even the central, even the Federal Reserve concluded that the only wealth effect they could actually locate was out of house prices, not out of share prices. Yeah. And it was fairly minor. Yeah, well, so but there is a the bit of that effect.
0: happening, isn't there? Because we know that there's a lot more day traders, for example, who are trading in the share market, which has been reasoning for why it's rising so much as... There's less institutional investors proportionally, and there's more uh, more day traders. That will be people who have managed, to, who found that through all of this, they've actually got a bit more money because they're not spending it elsewhere. So they're dabbling in the share market. So, so
1: and, and, yeah, and, and that that itself is funded by the fact that the QE is creating that asset price inflation. Yeah, if the QE wasn't there, those day traders wouldn't be doing so well.
0: Yeah, or wouldn't be interested because they wouldn't be looking at that and say, "Hey, look, this is going off." So if yeah. so, okay, so if we didn't have uh, government spending, if if Josh Frydenberg and Rishi Sunak and everybody else started saying well okay let's get rid of this huge budget deficit and we start to try and balance things out the only way money is being created then is when commercial banks issue loans which they're not doing of course they issue loans when times are good when times are bad like now when we really need that money that's the time that they don't so they they do the exact opposite of what's needed basically
1: yeah, and this would actually be one reason why you'd find out in a hurry that running a surplus actually destroys money mm. because previous times this has happened. When you had the government running a surplus for a sustained period of time, the two times that applies in the United States are the 1920s and the late 1990s under both Clinton and then the, the, uh, the first Bush. Now, uh, well hang on, the, the second Bush, pardon me. I get my Bushes mixed up sometimes, yeah. Um, but during the, during the Great Depression... One. Yeah, yeah, that's well, I, that that actually is true, yeah. R- relatively um, speaking. Yeah, yeah, um, but during the nineteen twenties, particularly under Calvin Coolidge, the American government was running a one percent of GDP surplus every year, and taking the credit for that causing the booming economy. What they weren't looking at was that at the same time, the the, government, the private banks were funding one of the biggest speculative bubbles in human history the level of private debt went from roughly roughly 50% to roughly 100% across the uh, 1920s and just in terms of sheer quantitative level that meant that it was running credit of about eight to ten percent of GDP while the government was running a surplus of one percent the surplus was reducing the money in circulation reducing economic activity but the government the bank money creation of eight to ten percent per annum was more than compensating for it causing the boom but the real punchline this is one thing I, I, I still remember I get gobsmacked when I when I do this, you know, put the numbers together and see what's involved here. Of course, a lot of the lending in the 1920s was margin debt. And Irving Fisher well, was one of the many people who took out a large margin line to speculate on the stock market. The scale of that is still stunning because banks were providing the money that was then lent by brokers, let people buy shares with a 10% deposit, put down $10,000, buy $100,000 worth of shares. The level of margin debt in America went from 1% of GDP roughly in 1920 to 12% in October 1929. Wow. And that's where that huge bubble. And then, of course, it fell from 12% back down to 1% again between 1929 and 1930. So those bubbles, are, are, uh, that's what made it look like the 1920s running a surplus was a success, but it was a failure. Now, if we did it again now, we wouldn't see the same effect because rather than carrying a trivial level of debt, relatively speaking, as America was at the beginning of the 1920s, it's now carrying for the private sector 150% of GDP, is the debt level, three times what it was in the 1920s. And people aren't going to borrow money. So, if the government ran a deficit, ran a surplus, and taking money out, there wouldn't be a compensating increase by private lending in the opposite direction. And we would have a serious economic downturn. Right. Well, we look forward to that uh, <laughs> because we could be heading there, <laughs> couldn't we? So, what's happening we here? Could.
0: Commercial banks in the United States in June. A 42% drop in commercial and industrial loans, 42% drop. A 45% increase in the purchase of government securities. So they're buying bonds, they're not lending money out.
1: There was a period, though, where where there was a massive increase in the corporate sector debt uh, under the COVID. It's gone up, it's started going back down again, I've noticed in in the data. Mm. And what was happening there was that I think a lot of companies suddenly found themselves having to access lines of credit or overdraft facilities that they had in place and hadn't needed, and suddenly COVID hits, and bang, demands collapsed. Uh, they've got to, they've still got outgoings to cover, so they've got to borrow money to do it. An increase in the cash level, but an increase in the debts of the bank thanks the um, non-banks as well. And as soon as they get uh, you know past the initial point, they start cutting down on expenditure and and cancelling that debt. So we're seeing the cancellation phase now. So um, so we are really back down to
0: the only way is to, uh, to, to see through this is is increased government spending. The only other way yeah, that money absolutely. would be created is going to be from commercial banks, and they're not going to loan out right now, however much we incentivize no. them to do that. And they've tried that, of course, as well. They've tried to say, well, okay, we'll guarantee the debt for, for a certain period of time. But even that wasn't enough for, for governments to lend out because they their reaction to that was, well, okay, you're doing that for 12 months. What happens after that? We're not prepared to take that risk. They did a little bit. But it uh, no. it wasn't really successful. So really, the the only way is that. What tell me about the uh, so the Bradbury pound or uh, the uh, Abraham Lincoln had greenback dollars. The, the the Bradbury pound was introduced by David Lloyd George when he was Chancellor to try and stop a run on the banks. That was the idea behind it at uh, the outbreak of the First World War. So no. the idea behind that, and the government issues the currency. It's interest free. It's debt free. Without any involvement of, of private banks. It seems elegantly simple, but I mean, what's the difference between that and uh, and sort of helicopter money, just giving people giving money instead no, of bank it, accounts? No, it's,
1: it's just it's fundamentally saying you've got you've got an institution which has an unlimited capacity to create money, which is the central bank. Right. Um. So the the central bank and the treasury together, uh, if they decide to do it, they can create the additional money. And the issue is, well, should they? And the answer is, well, if the alternative is having to learn how to speak German and not in forty, yes. <laughs> and and that's what what happened in 1940. The budget deficit in 1940 in the UK was 40 percent of GDP. And mm. that 40 percent, where did the money come from? It created money equivalent to 40 percent of GDP, which turned up in people's bank accounts as they were being hired to become soldiers, or the the factories being converted to making uh, weapons and so on. No. Uh, and then. On so it wasn't a separate side, currency as such.
0: It was just they created this extra money. They
1: created and that did scale. And so then it is like heli- it is helicopter money. Money from it's money. It's helicopter to- money. Yeah. yeah, but but you can see the actual way the helicopter works. The blades of the helicopter are assets, liabilities, and equity. And if you increase the liability of the banking sector by running a deficit, putting money in people's bank accounts, you increase the assets by exactly as much. And then when you issue bonds to to so-called cover it, the war bonds were just a way of converting uh, the excess reserves, which are no interest for the banks, into interest for the banks with the um, with with the interest on the war bonds. And when the war bonds were sold to the public, what that actually did, because to sell the war bonds, the public had to hand over money uh, that came out as terms of coming out of the bonds being purchased. Uh, that actually re- reduced the money supply and cut down the amount of spending that could be done by the private sector for non-military purposes. So rather than selling war bonds financing the war, it's actually a way of taking money out of circulation and reducing the amount of activity during a war economy, which is actually non-war based. I'm confused now. Is, that, is, that, <laughs> is, it, is it a good thing or a bad
0: thing? Should we be doing the same but thing it, right it, now?
1: It, it, it's, a, it's a good thing to issue the war bonds and sell them to the financial sector. Okay. Uh, because you've already created the money anyway, mm-hmm. and then when you pay interest on those law bonds, that actually turns up as the interest payments themselves by the by the central bank or by the treasury but covered by the central bank so those uh, interest payments go into the equity of whoever owns the bonds, if it's the banks that have purchased it it goes to their equity, if it's pension funds or individuals, it goes to their equity, uh, but it also increases the reserves. Of the banking sector, if it, if it, in, the, in the way that it's paid, so that is also creating money. So it's actually the interest on the bonds that creates money. Selling the bonds themselves to the financial sector is neither neither Arthur nor Martha, and selling the bonds to the private sector actually reduces the money supply. Right. So you don't want to do that.
0: But it seems to me that you know if you if you if you are selling bonds to uh, to to the banking sector and it's sitting there as part of their uh, their reserves it's not doing much except earning them interest it seems like the best place for it so when you try and get them to move out of it that's where the where the problems start so if you if you create money for 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 right now whether it's through creating money and putting it into people's bank accounts or whether it's extra extra spending by the government with what we perceive as government debt uh, Mm -hmm. if those bonds ultimately find themselves sitting in uh, in uh, in banks uh, and they they're earning interest and they're happy with that. That seems like the best arrangement, doesn't it? It's when you actually start to say, "Well, no, get rid of those," and uh, because we're we're going to buy them off you, and so they start speculating. That's where the problems start. Potentially,
1: yeah. You don't you, you want them to have income earning assets. that bank the lending they mm-hmm. do, but if you if you force them to have too much in the way of non income earning assets, which is when you force them to have excess reserves. Uh, and you don't sell the bonds to them or you try to buy the bonds off them Mm. and give them more, then that's actually going to encourage the banks to gamble and speculate. Mm. And that's the last thing we need banks to do because they're so damn bad, or actually they're so damn good at it, they cause a bubble that bursts and then we have to wear the aftermath. Right. So more government bonds. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> the upshot: bigger deficit, yeah, more idea. government spending, and, and, yeah. and this again comes back to what Stephanie argues in the, in the deficit myth that this is actually not shouldn't be regarded as debt. Mm. Uh, yes, it's covered by a debt-like instrument called the government bond, but that is simply another form, an income-earning version for the banking sector of the reserves, and, and that's where the only distinction is: the reserves don't earn interest. Uh, the bonds do. If the government uh, ran itself by running a, having an overdraft uh, facility for the treasury at the central bank, then there'd be no bonds being created. You actually get less money creation that way. Again, I've done the, the model thing of this in a Minsky model, which I'll, I'll wake up again on the website on the on the Patreon website to, to show the mechanics. Yeah, but the bonds do, they, they, they don't have the effect people think because they're not thinking about them in a double entry bookkeeping way. Right. No. Very illuminating,
0: as always. Uh, I wish wish he was listening. Uh, he might uh, change, his, <laughs> change his approach. But if they all carry oh. on down that road, then we are going to come into hard times, aren't we? We're going to have that double whammy of government stopping spending and, uh, and and trying to balance the budget and pulling money out of the economy. That's right. Scary times. Good to talk, Steve. Indeed. I come out good in, in fairness. Rissi Sunak has extended the furlough scheme of sorts in the UK for jobs that the government shuts down as it imposes more restrictions. And look, we're going to see a lot more of that, so we will need more government money, government money like never before. Even when we came out of the lockdown in the UK and the government pushed the eat out to help out scheme, uh, paying half your restaurant bills, the economy in that month only grew by two percent after a record breaking fall. So, more money is going to be needed, more debt, and we should not be worried about it. Even the IMF is saying that. That's it for the Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back again next week with another one. Thanks for listening. Mom